You're listening to the Online Marketing Made Easy Podcast, episode number 228. Welcome to the Online Marketing Made Easy Podcast. Business advice so easy, you'll feel like you're cheating. And now your host, Amy Porterfield. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Online Marketing Made Easy Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Porterfield, and I'm so glad you're here. Now, today we are talking about an important topic, how to get to the finish line. I think it's so important as entrepreneurs that we talk about all these open loops that we have and the fact that sometimes we get distracted, sometimes we make excuses, or sometimes huge boulders get in the way of us actually completing what we started. But I do believe one of the secrets to my success is that I definitely finish, like I get it done. Now, I haven't always been a finisher. In today's episode where we talk to John Acuff about all of the secrets that will help us to get to that finish line, many of them I've applied to my own business and my own life in order to get there. And many of them I still need to work on. And so, of course, I'm a work in progress, as I'm sure you are as well. So I think you're going to find some great value in today's episode. But before we get there, I love hearing from all of you guys and you guys. That sounds so California to me, but it's where I was born and raised. So what do you expect? But I'd love to hear from all of you. And today's shout out is from Lacey Bussey, who left me an encouraging comment in my online marketing made easy podcast Facebook group. Did you know I had a Facebook group? For my podcast listeners, it's a lot of fun. I do these impromptu two-minute videos introducing each new episode, and I post them in the group, and there's a lot of great conversation around the episodes, and if you never want to miss an episode, this is a great way to get notified on Facebook. And so I'll link to the Online Marketing Made Easy Facebook group in the show notes, but you can search for it on Facebook as well. Anyway, I've got this group and Lacey posted in there, and this is what she said. She said, taking action from episode number 149, and it feels so good. I have 12 weeks of content mapped out. Now I just have to record the videos today and get the ball rolling on these for a 90-day plan. This blueprint freebie is amazing, and I'm super excited to see the results of implementing it. She's got lots of happy faces in there, so this means she is supercharged. She says, thank you for helping me so much, Amy. And I just want to say, Lacey, I love action takers. So episode number 149, I think was the most popular episode I've ever done. It was all about the blueprint to pre-launch. And I love that you're doing it. Keep us updated. Keep up the great work. So I'd love for you to share a review of this podcast as well. So if you're listening, you like what you hear, you like tuning in every week, then please do take a moment to jump over to iTunes, leave a review. And I just love pouring over all of them and reading them and hearing what's working for you. So I definitely take note and maybe you'll just get a shout out on the podcast as well. When you run an online business, your marketing metrics will tell you what in your business is profitable and where you're throwing money away. 
Yikes. That's pretty important, right? Luckily, I've put together the Ultimate Marketing Metrics Checklist, which is a free resource that will guide you through tracking and analyzing the most crucial metrics for your business. And let me tell you, I'm going to keep it simple but effective. From evergreen data and revenue generation to podcast metrics and social media growth, this cheat sheet will cover it all. It's the exact one my team and I use to track our metrics on a weekly, monthly, quarterly, and annual basis. Let me be honest here. This wasn't an overnight process win for me. It took me 10 years to build this comprehensive list and get it just right. But you, my friend, can start using it today, tailoring it to suit your business-specific needs, but not having to start from scratch like I did. Whether you're a seasoned marketer or just getting started, this cheat sheet will help you make informed decisions as you grow your business and empower you to move forward confidently. So go to amyporterfield.com forward slash metrics to get your hands on the ultimate marketing metrics cheat sheet now. That's amyporterfield.com forward slash metrics. Okay, so changing gears here. Have you noticed that as an entrepreneur, there are usually no shortages of fresh ideas or new projects to start, but when it comes to actually finishing those projects, it can be really difficult. Even if you've planned out every last detail, things come up, or should I say, we allow things to come up and we get detoured and those detours can lead us down a rabbit hole that we can never get out of. Can I get an amen? Even the most vigilant goal setters have been known to stumble when approaching the finish line. But my guest today, John Acuff, entrepreneur, New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author and most sought after and popular speaker I know, has cracked the code on how to significantly increase your chances of finishing what you start. And you're going to be pleasantly surprised to hear how you can make it happen. I cannot wait till we dive into all of this. And he's so incredibly funny that I'm kind of laughing throughout the whole episode, which is really fun as well. Now, okay, so I won't make you wait any longer. Let's go ahead and jump into my conversation with John Acuff. John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have you. But before we get into all the stuff we're going to cover, I recently heard that you are going to be doing a stand-up comedy show, two in fact, and I heard that they are sold out. So first of all, is this true? It's true. I, I For 10 years, I've been saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Like Every single person listening right now has that same kind of, I'm going to do it someday thing. Yes. I, and I actually, like scientifically, it's called the, I'm going to mispronounce it. It's the Zygarde effect, which means you remember incomplete things more than you do complete things. And so that they have a heavier weight. And so like a big part of what I'm passionate about in life, like my last book finished was about finishing things you care about is that like 81% of Americans, according to New York times, want to write a book and less than 1% do, which means every year we miss a quarter billion books that some poor person is carrying around going, I want to do it someday. I want to do it someday. So I told people forever, I'm going to do a comedy night. I went to a really famous comedian and his opener was terrible. And I texted my assistant that night and was like, hey, find a venue. I'm doing it. And the venue, rightfully so, was like, we'll give you a Monday night, which is like the night, like, like you've never heard of me. Of course I should have Monday night. <laughs> the first show sold out. We we're only going to do one show, but the first show sold out in um, 48 hours. And so we added a second and sold out in 24 hours. And so 
I have found like in like in a Machiavellian way, the whole like make your troops fight against the water. Yeah. Like sometimes there's things you have to say, like, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to sell 600 tickets. And so it better be amazing because I'm going to invite everybody I know in the town. I don't get to leave and it better (laughs) be amazing. So I've got until October 28th to create something hilarious and then I'll try it and then I will have done it. Oh my gosh. This is awesome. Now I would be terrified to do something like this. Does it get you excited? Are you nervous? I'm nervous in the sense of I want it to be really good. I'm not nervous in the sense, like I've had the great benefit for the last 10 years of getting to go travel like the world speaking and, and my niche is humor. Like I'll never out research Jim Collins. Like I'll never out swear (laughs) Gary V, but like I am way funnier. And so I know that like, that's my sweet spot. So there's stories I've told on the road. Um, I was at a book signing once and I've spoken at a couple of essential oil companies and they've been amazing to me. Like I, I love what they do. Like people ask me sometimes, they're like, are you against MLM? And it's such a weird question because there's amazing MLM and there's terrible MLM. Like it'd be like if you were against cars because there was a crash once and you'd be like, well then don't drive drunk. Like there's a whole <laughs> lot less crashes. So this woman came, she gave me a vial of oil at a uh, books a million in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I signed her books and thank you. She left, or I thought she left five minutes later. I feel an oily hand on my bare neck. And what? somebody, somebody point oil on my hair and my head and Stop. she leans in and is like, I'm anointing you. And like everyone in line was like, is she with him? Like, cause it's intimate. Like everybody was like, does he ball so hard? He has a travel anointer. And like, if things aren't going well, I'm like, hit me with some Jasmine. And like my favorite part of that story is she was five minutes from the right decision. She left, she got to her car and was like, you know what? I am going to oil that man. And she came back. And so like, stories like that that are a hundred percent real and with the physical comedy. So like, I'm not nervous in the sense of like, Oh no, I I just want to make sure it's as good as it can be, but I'm going to practice like a maniac. So I I feel confident about that. Oh, I feel confident. It's going to be amazing. And I listened to the audio version of your book finish and I thought you were hilarious. So I can only imagine how you're going to be standing up there at this comedy show It's going to be amazing. So congrats for selling out those two shows when you've never done a comedy show in your life. Yeah, I'm excited about it. It's funny. A bunch of people, part of what, whether it's a problem of the internet or just humanity, like people sometimes get stuck on what counts and what doesn't count. And I I always encourage people like you have to decide that because for instance, I did a book reading challenge last year for myself. Like it wasn't something I invited people to. I just like said, I'm going to read a bunch of books. And I would post audiobooks and people inevitably on Instagram would go, well, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. And I always wanted to say, according to who? Like, who is judging John Acuff's personal reading challenge? Like, where is the jury I must present myself to? And so it was funny. People would say, well, it doesn't count. You're not doing it in your, you know, you're doing it in your hometown or it doesn't count. You didn't spend 20 years on the road, like in miserable towns. And I just thought like, there's not a comedian on the planet that wouldn't use 300,000 Twitter followers to sell out a comedy show. Like, but uh, when yeah. we get stuck on what counts and what doesn't count, like you get really twisted. And unfortunately the internet is more than happy to tell you what doesn't count. Like they will be very loud and vocal about that. And you kind of have to just go, you know what? I'm going to do what I'm going to do. It's so true. I can, I've never thought of it that way, but I hear myself saying, oh, but it doesn't count because of this or that. So I'm going to be aware of that one because you're right. Who says? I I say that. that all the time. I say who says, or where does it say that? Or according, according to who, yes. you know, and go, oh, that's right. Like I'm living up to this old expectation that was, you know, a comment somebody made or, 
people publishing books will go, well, I self-published it so it doesn't count. And I want to say, no, you wrote a you wrote a 200-page book. Like that's an amazing thing. Like that counts. It counts. And, you know, I always tell authors, okay, if you think the publisher is the most important thing, please tell me who published your top five favorite books. Like, go ahead. Tell me who published the help. Oh, so good. So good. And you go, uh, nobody shops by publisher. Nobody is like, wait a second. Amy's got a new book. Let's see who the imprint is. Like, nobody cares. Oh, so very true. We all need to remember that. So next time you all hear yourself saying it doesn't count, you say, who says? So I exactly. love that. Now, before we get into all the juicy details of your book, Finish, and the concepts around it, I know that you live in Nashville, Tennessee, and my husband and I are seriously talking about moving to Nashville when our son graduates high school in two years. So we're talking about this. We're looking at property. So I'm very jealous that you live there because I love everything about it. But I want you to tell me about your family and about your business. Like, What do you do to make money? Yeah, I mean, we love Nashville. We've we've been here eight years. It's funny. We lived in Atlanta before, so we've experienced real traffic. People in Nashville like are like the traffic was terrible. I'm like that was adorable. It was a seven minute traffic jam. <laughs> like get out of here. Like live in LA for like an hour, and you'll be like Nashville's pretty amazing. Amen, brother. Um, so we love the area. We love the schools. We love the people here. There's a creative community, which is amazing. In Atlanta, I was kind of weird. There's definitely creative people there. That's not what I'm saying. I just mean. When I have a travel season, the guy across from me plays for a big band and he's on the road for three months. So his wife can talk to my wife and we can, you know, communicate and go, hey, I can run into another public speaker. Like it's a weird job I have or being a personality. There's other people that can challenge me and and sharpen me. And so I feel very good about that. I guess the I've got two teenage daughters. I've got a 12 year old, but she might as well be a teenager at this point. And one one just turned 15 and they're amazing. One does band. Our band here is better than the football team. They go to nationals every year. They're amazing. She does band practice eight to four every Saturday in addition to Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. So like they, it is such a well-run organization. Like I went and met the band director. I'm helping them with some social media. And he was like, look, this is practice adulthood. This isn't band. Like I'm going to try to turn you into an amazing adult. And I was like, yes, like this guy is so good. And so she does band. My other daughter does lacrosse. I've been married for going on 18 years. My wife's amazing. She's super smart. Like she just, I'm constantly quoting her or getting credit for things she said. So I like, (laughs) here's one of my favorite ones. She, and this is one of the smartest things I've ever heard. I think most jobs have an element of travel to them now. Like I love that even in the face of video technology, face to face, fast forwards relationships it fast forwards connections, it's vital. So most jobs have some travel. So Jenny one day said to me, hey, when you leave on trips, you're feeling guilty. And so you express sadness and you hand the guilt to our kids who don't even know they should be sad about you leaving. You make this big dramatic, I have to go. I'm Uh. so sorry. Like dust in the wind. I'm the worst (laughs) dad. And the kid doesn't know. The kid will reflect your feeling. But if they don't know to have that, you've then given them a sad feeling. So now, and my wife was like, so when you leave, celebrate that you're leaving to go make money for the family, to go be an adult, to connect, yes. you know, and connect it to when we're at Disney in the middle of a work week that other people have, I go, Hey, the reason we get to be here, remember is that dad went to Tulsa, you know, in January for two nights and here's the, and so it make that's a game changer. So like I have the benefit of having, you know, what people would say is a full cup wife, like an amazing wife. So we live here, how I make my money. 
I make my money a few different ways. A big way is that I'm a public speaker. We'll probably talk about that a bunch on this. But I, I found years ago, I loved speaking. I loved getting to connect with people. I can't do that enough. Like, I don't want to be on the road a thousand times a year, but my rate makes it easier for me to make money. So like this September, I'll make more money than I did all of 2014 and I'll travel 50% less. Wow. So I always tell people like, find something you love doing that other people are terrible at and, and you'll be amazing. So like people are afraid of public speaking. And so I love to do it. You get the fastest, you know when it's working or it's not instantly. There's no delay between somebody laughing or not laughing or leaning in and not leaning in. And so I just, I, I can't believe I get to do it. I, you know, I'm going to FedEx tomorrow to speak to them. This will be my second time. And like that I get to go and it's their top performers. Like they have a program where 3% of the company gets nominated for this award and I get to go talk to those people. So like I'll get to learn from them. Like that's amazing to me that I get paid to challenge people with ideas and, and figure out, you know, how are you going to change your life? What does it look like? How are you going to change your sales? And so a lot of my money comes via public speaking. And then I also write books. And so from advances, I do some courses. I'm working on a public speaking course because it's I get the question a lot. And those are my people. Like I'm a huge public speaking nerd. Like I can tell you, I have some very aggressive thoughts on like never reintroduce yourself or say, I'm so happy to be here because you've just wasted the most valuable minute. Like it's the dumbest thing to do. Like get up there, start with a story, create a lean in line that forces people to lean in. You can thank the organization in the middle, but just don't waste the first minute. You never see you two go, hey, thanks for coming tonight. We're so glad we had an opening act. We love Cleveland. You guys have great hot dogs. Like, no, they build the tension. (laughs) They don't roll the credits at the beginning of the movie. And so I make some money from that. Um, I don't do a ton of coaching. And I'm not against it. It just hasn't been a huge part of it. And then I have like what I think is the best calendar on the planet. A few years ago, eight years ago, actually, I started using this huge wall calendar and just fell in love with it. It's gigantic. The design is really smart. I did it for five years. and I was like, hey, I should just call that dude that makes them and be like, can we do one together? And so we started selling this massive wall calendar and I mount it like on foam core. And so to meetings, I'll carry it. And it looks like I'm carrying like paddleboard. (laughs) But the like... Time is fictional unless you can see it. So I'm I all about that. Go, oh my gosh. So like, yeah, it's finishedcalendar.com and it's just, it's my favorite thing. And so I don't do a ton of physical products, but I'm a big believer. Like if I love something, I should then go be like, hey, can we do something together? Like I love Tom Ben bags, B-I-H-N. I've used them for years. They're a Seattle company. Like in the seventies, Tom Ben went to his mom and said, hey, I need a knapsack. And she was like, well, you can save for one or learn to make one. And he learned how to make one. And they're like, you would, as somebody who gets marketing, you will love their site and how they tell stories. Like, it's amazing. And so I said to them, like, hey, can we do something together? Like, you seem really (laughs) smart. So that's kind of how I approach some of this. And I have a small team. I only have a handful of people. I'm pretty lean, but that's, that's a lot of words all at once. Okay. This is so good. I love learning about other people's businesses. So I appreciate all those details. I just want to point out that you said knapsack. I really haven't heard someone say that word since my mom, maybe when I was in second grade. So I'm cracking up. It's probably coming back. Like it'll, I mean, everybody's (laughs) seriously doubt it. (laughs) My, my oldest daughter is like, Oh, I recognize that song. It's from stranger things. And I was like, you mean it's from the eighties? Like it's, it was actual, it had like a 20 year life before that show. So true. The kids just don't get it these days. Good stuff. 
I know you're focused on marketing and selling your digital products, but I know many of you also have physical products, and I want to talk about Shopify. Shopify is a user-friendly commerce platform that helps you, my dear online entrepreneur, build an online store and make more sales at any stage of your business. They're the force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other businesses at every size. Let me tell you why Shopify is an online entrepreneur's dream platform. It's because it helps turn your browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout experience. In fact, it converts 36% better compared to other leading e-commerce platforms. Yeah, loving that. And I don't know about you, but as an online entrepreneur, my customer's experience, especially when it comes to checking out, is so important. Plus, not only do they support your customers, they support you as the entrepreneur. Shopify's award-winning help desk is there to support your success through every question and every step of the way. There's a reason Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash made easy, all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash made easy now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash made easy. We are online marketers, which means we have unique needs. And there are so many options out there for paid media. Sometimes it's hard to figure out where should you go to reach your ideal audience. But here's the thing. Have you thought about LinkedIn ads? LinkedIn ads empowers marketers with solutions for you and your customers, and it allows you to build the right relationships and drive results and reach your customers with meaningful content. You do not want to sleep on LinkedIn ads. And here's the thing, 79% of content marketers said LinkedIn produces the best results for paid media. I hear it from so many of my peers, and I know you're doing important work. And with that, you wanna make sure that the work you're doing is getting in front of the right people. And that's what LinkedIn ads will allow you to do. So let your marketing efforts connect with the right audience and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. So if you go to linkedin.com slash Amy, you can get that $100 credit. So that's linkedin.com slash Amy. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so here's the deal. Several years ago, you wrote a book titled Start, Punch Fear in the Face, but you realized in the years following the publication of that book that something kind of compelled you to change it up a little bit and write the book, Finish, Give Yourself the Gift of Done. So talk to me about how that all came about. Well, I mean, part of it was people expressing a need. I'm like you in that the best products to launch are the ones people have asked for. Yep. Like, that's amazing. I'd rather you feel invested and excited and anticipate the thing I created to serve you. Every time I go to a public speaking event, I talk to the client probably a month before and I ask them a series of questions. And like, eventually I'll put this in the course, but like the most valuable question I ask them is, what shouldn't I say? And they never expect it. But what I find out often is they'll go, you know what? Don't say that radio is dead. Half of our speakers come to this new media conference and they say, radio's dead, radio's dead. And half the audience works in radio and mm. you lose the audience or they'll say, hey, 
don't say like I spoke at a huge auto manufacturing recycling company that said, don't say the word junkyard because it sounds like we have sleeve tattoos and pit bulls. Like, and we do highly technical work and it's insulting. So like when I show up in an event, my goal in an event is that the audience goes, it was like he read my mind. Yes. Like it was like he read, like you love to get feedback where people go, look, Amy, this was for me. And you go, that's how I know it worked. And so people kept saying like, no offense, I like to start, but I've never had a problem starting. I've started a thousand things. How do I actually get them done? And the problem, part of the problem is we over-celebrate the beginning in our culture. So our culture says things like, the hardest part of any journey is the first step or well begun is half done. But like if a surgeon told you after I make the first incision, I'm like halfway done with your surgery, you'd be like, <laughs> where did you go to school? Or like the hardest part of any journey is the first step. Are you the middle is the worst part? Like we have kickoff parties. We have launch parties. I've never been to a middle party. I've never had a manager be like, hey, we're in the middle of the project and it sucks. So time for cake. Like, but they should. They should. But so I, I just recognize like, wow, there's a real need. And so I didn't want it to just be my thoughts. I mean, I, I think that the older I get, the more I fall in love with research because it just gives me like this confidence. So we, I went to the University of Memphis and I commissioned a study with a PhD there named Mike Peasley. And we studied nearly 900 people for six months to figure out what really works, what really doesn't, and like what's true. My favorite writing style is to take something we all think we know and believe and then figure out the counterintuitive truth to it. And I, I like that's why like half the internet drives me nuts because like there's so many motivational speakers that like if you unpack what they said, it's not true and it's not helpful. And it, it'll have a thousand likes in like two seconds. And you're like, no, that's not that's going to hurt you. Like, don't do that. <laughs> and so that gets me fired up. Well, the book is fantastic. And I am a huge Audible fan, which I mentioned earlier that I listened to the audiobook and not only were you funny, my favorite thing about this book, so if you guys get it and you like Audible, you like listening to the audio, John did something that a lot of authors don't do, and he gives you extras in the audio version. So you'll kind of go off the cuff of it, right? Yeah, I think that's the best. Like, Me too. I mean, like, it's fun to delight people. I, I think that's such a brilliant marketing thing. One of the stories I tell sometimes, Trader Joe's, I don't, it, some people know this, some people don't. Trader Joe's hides a stuffed animal in their store. And if your kid finds it, they tell the manager, hey, the bear was in the frozen food section. The manager gives them a lollipop. This is brilliant for two reasons. One, it turns your kids into Trader Joe's advocates. Little kids can recognize a brand from nine miles away. Anybody who's flipped TV channels quickly, like they can find Peppa Pig like in four <laughs> seconds. The second thing it does is you as a parent walk through the store with a cart and guess what happens as you look for the stuffed animal? You find things you didn't know you wanted to buy. Mm. And so they make a ton of money off it. They personalize it. So if you're in the Florida store, it's a dolphin. If you're in California, it's a bear. And so we moved to Nashville and we're like, all right, let's go. We went to Trader Joe's and we walked around, walked around, couldn't find it. Said to the manager, hey, we couldn't find the stuffed animal. He said, yeah, we don't do that here. Oh. And I wanted to scream, like, what ROI is that? <laughs> like, do you think he calls the district manager quarterly? He's like, saved another $4 on lollipops, killing it. Right? Like, it's just stuff like that where people don't stop for two seconds and go, wait a second, is this going to delight somebody or not? Like, that's why I add the bonus content is that you and I have written books. Guess what? There's a lot of stuff that gets left out. Like I turned in 60,000 words. My editor gave me back 38,000 words. Ooh. I was like, hey, and, and we added to it. But like, there's other ideas. And so if you have them and you, you enjoy doing the audiobook, like it's fun. I sell two to one audiobooks to electronic right now. And I think part of it is 
I read them myself. They're funny. And I add extra stuff. Oh yeah. The extra stuff is so cool. And those of you who are listening that are course creators, I know Pat Flynn does a good job about hiding the Easter eggs throughout his courses as, as well. Like those fun things to find. And I love you use the word delight, John. I think that's such a great word. So if you can delight people in ways they don't expect, it's always extra fun. So that was my favorite part of reading the book, especially just because I love just listening to you. I think you do such a great job of reading your own stuff, of course. And so for the purpose of our chat today, we're going to highlight six secrets to finish what you start. But before you go there, tell us about this whole concept of embracing perfectionism. That is a word, right? Perfectionism. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So embracing that because it's a theme throughout your book? Yeah. So, I mean, a big part of it is how you deal with perfectionism and how you identify it. I would argue that a lot of people get stuck because it's not perfect. And the here's the crazy thing about perfectionism and perfectionists. They tend to have the messiest cars and the messiest offices. And you go, well, wait a second. Aren't they type A people? Like, aren't they neat freaks? They are, but unless they can clean it to the toothbrush level, they won't even start. So, A big part of it is that you have to say, okay, I'm going to be okay with this amount of progress, even if it's not perfect. A perfectionist would rather get a zero than a C minus. I meet perfectionists all the time that'll go, I'm going to run five miles every day. I only have time for three today, so I'm not going to do any. And you want to go, well, you know, three is infinitely more than than none. So let's, let's figure that out. So I'm a big believer in if you can't deal with that, if you can't wrestle with that, it's really hard. And everybody who's half written some books gets that sense of like, okay, I tried, I tried, I tried, but it's not perfect. So I'm not going to do it. So I, yeah, I, I talk about that a ton. And the other thing is it masquerades as a character trait. Like it's one of those fake things you say when people go, what are your weaknesses? And you go, well, I almost work too hard. You know, (laughs) like I give too much to the company. That's a real weakness. Like I'm a perfectionist. Like it sounds fun to say, but it's not really it's not really a quality. It is something that you go, okay, that's that's not good. It's not. And I, I set up that whole question wrong, but you're a pro, so you took it. What I should have said was this whole theme of embracing imperfection, which is Yeah, really- I was like, uh, I, I heard you and I was like, oh no. Oh no, like, she screwed I like, up. I'm going to say like, <laughs> embrace it to deal with it. Like, yes. hug your, keep your enemies close. That's how yes. it- <laughs> so you are, you are a true pro. Thank you for doing that. But yes, that was the whole concept of embrace the imperfection. And all of you who are loyal listeners to my podcast, I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, yes, this is what Brooke Castillo of the Life Coach School talked about doing B minus work. And it doesn't have to be a work all the time. And a lot of my audience, after I did this episode with Brooke, everyone that wrote me said, oh my gosh, this idea of not having to do A or A plus work all the time literally has freed me. So it's the same concept, embrace that imperfection. So I'm so glad you brought it up. Now I wrote down this quote from your book, developing tolerance for imperfection is the key factor in turning chronic starters into consistent finishers. I just love your perspective of developing a tolerance for it, because I think when you say that you're kind of saying to a lot of us, it's not like it's going to come easy. No, it's not. I I mean, it's so funny. People the bar is low right now. I like, I'll do a lot of customer service talks to people. And I like, I'll say the good news is people expect bad service at this point. Like yep. everybody's had a, they go into a restaurant and go, it wasn't terrible. Like I didn't get the sense that they spit in any of my food. It was pretty nice. Like 
the waitress came over with stuff. We have this <laughs> low expect, like, and then when you delight them or do something different, they're like, that was amazing. They remembered my name or they followed up. And so I think part of that is going, okay, it's not, it's not going to be perfect. And when it's not, there's still value. So I love sharing. I did a book signing probably three months ago and it was at an event and like four people came to the table and I took a photo of like the empty line and I posted it and people were like, you're so brave. And I think that's not brave. That's just true. Like that happens to all of us, but people think like you're Amy Porterfield or you're verified or like you, like you got to a level where you don't like, there's always like somebody yesterday told me, they were like, I saw this quote. But I've never heard of this guy, so I don't think it's a good quote. And I was like, who was it? They're like, some guy, Tony Robbins? And I was like, shut up. (laughs) This is yesterday. And then another person said, yeah, never heard of him. And I was like, there's always going to be somebody that's like, yeah, never heard of you. Like, what are you talking about? So kind of one of my early mantras was this too shall post versus this too shall pass. Because like, if it's something that will be helpful to other people, I'm going to say like, hey, this still goes on and here's how I deal with it. Okay. That is so cool. I love that you do that. Yeah. And so that to me, and I don't do it to manipulate. I think there are people that overuse honesty as a weapon of marketing. And I don't like that. Like, I don't like when, for instance, where a really beautiful, stunning, beautiful person goes, I was a nerd in high school and people hated me. And you want to go, but were you like, or when somebody goes like, I had a tough situation growing up and you go, but did you really? Cause like famous people have a hard time. Like a speaker in an audience, for instance, the minute you step on stage, there's a gap between you and the people in the crowd. And your job as a speaker is to close the gap. It's not to lie and go, I'm just like you. I'm not, I've never been a chimney sweep. So when I speak at a chimney sweep convention, I shouldn't be like, yeah, I get it. I've been on roofs. Like that's mimicry, not empathy. And they're different. And so I think your ability to develop that tolerance and go, yeah, it wasn't perfect. And it was even a little embarrassing, but it's okay. I lived through it and I get to share the story. Like this is a, I had a lady, again, this is hundred percent true. I've read books, speaking books where they're like, if you hear a good story, make it your own. And which is fancy for lie. Like I, right. I can't stand, I think that was like the sixties people did that. Modern communicators, like especially millennials, they can spot a lie from like 10 miles away. Yes. Um, I had a lady like a month ago, I was with my wife having to be at the event. She came through the line at the book signing table and was like, hey, do you have an audio book? And I was like, I do. And I read it. Like, I was like, hey, and I read it. And she was like, oh, then I'll definitely hate it. And I was like, oh. And she goes, she goes, you are the biggest failure. And I was like, so then no book today? You know, like, what do you say to that? <laughs> what? Like, I don't understand. She said you were a failure? Yeah, yeah. She said, I think what she was trying to say was at this event, I hated you the most. Uh, like, but oh. it's a weird thing. And so my wife, and I was like, my wife was like, there, I was like, did that lady say that thing to my face like 30 <laughs> seconds ago? She's like, she did. And like, at this point in my career, I'm like, that's hilarious. I'm going to tell that story on Amy Porterfield's podcast someday. Like, I'm fine with that. You can't let that stuff. But like, I, I really believe, and I'm, I'm working on kind of writing this idea out, that your ability to experience awesomeness is directly related to your ability to tolerate awkwardness. And that they're related. And so like you have to do these things and you can't just get to say, I want to have this big platform, but I don't want to deal with any awkwardness. And you go, I'm sorry. That's, that's not how it goes. Like, you uh, have to- yes, mic drop. That is so good. And so true. Yeah. So that's, I mean, those are the things that get me excited. So that's when I was like, okay, chronic starter to consistent finisher. Here's what that looks like. I like to say it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And that's not an indication of failure at because- all. We say things like I heard this guru say, 
if you don't love 90% of what it takes to be in your industry, you're in the wrong industry. And I thought, so in a 40 hour work week, there's only four hours. I'm not like, this is amazing. Unicorns. (laughs) Like that's such terrible advice. And we've really done a disservice to this next generation by overtelling them, always follow your heart, always follow your dream. You know, the second it doesn't fulfill your purpose, it's the wrong job. Like we've set up this false narrative of it'll always be amazing. And that's just not how life is. It's not. And sometimes it's tough. Now, building a business, I tell my students, it's 1 million percent worth all the toughness that's going to come your way. But it's it's going to be tough at times, which leads me. We're going to get into these six secrets. Secret number one, in my opinion, is tough because you tell people to cut their goal in half. And I've got a lot of big dreamers, people that are making big dreams that are listening right now. So talk to me about this very scary secret number one, cut your goal in half. And I will say when I send this idea to clients that I'm going to speak about it, some will go, whoa, 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 no, no, no. You're going to tell our sales team that? And that's not what I'm saying. So I had this theory. My theory was if your goal is to lose 10 pounds and you only lose eight, you don't feel like you almost got there. You feel like you failed by two and you give up. Right. And so I said to the 900 people we were studying, cut your goal in half. Because I believed that if their goal was five and they lost the same exact eight, they would have won by three and they'll try again. Ultimately, I care more about your February than I do your January. Care more about your March than I do your February. Like, it's a long-term kind of commitment. And so we found, and when you do a research study, you're looking for a 5% bump, a 10% bump. That would be significant. We found that people who cut their goals in half were 63% more successful in the long term, which is insane. Wow. Now, the point then becomes, that's an indicator of how bad we are at setting initial goals. So there's a couple ways to prevent that. One, break the goal into small pieces. People for generations have talked about that. If somebody said to me, I want to write a book. I wouldn't say, well, write half a book. I'd say, write a chapter, finish it, celebrate it, write a second chapter, finish it, celebrate it. I still want people to have massive goals. I can't tell Penguin, hey, I hope finish sells half the numbers we want. (laughs) This is the research. But what I can tell myself is, is this a good goal? Like I didn't launch a comedy tour. I did a comedy night. I don't feel ashamed of the size of that at all. I think that that's a great size goal. Like that's a big enough goal. Will I build on it? Probably. Like would I love to then do Dallas or Chicago or or other cities after that? I will. But my first, you know, my long-term big crazy goal would be to have a comedy special on Netflix. But I don't make that the first goal because I'll get crippled by that. And so the problem, Amy, is that people make their goal when their motivation is the highest. And then motivation, which is the most temporary substance in the world, leaves when the work shows up and they've got this massive goal and this low motivation and there's this there's this you know conflict and so i love to get people to go okay but 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 really what are you going to do and there the problem is scientifically there's this thing called planning fallacy which is the belief you can get more done in less time and we have this optimism and what's funny is i'll get labeled as like oh it's negative you're not optimistic enough and like no i'm crazy optimistic like i'm you know i have big dreams and big hopes I just want them to actually happen. I want them to actually work. And I'm a big believer in the kind of like build up slowly and deliberately kind of plan. Like I, I run my business like there's this kid in our neighborhood. I don't know him, never spoken to him. He's probably 19, didn't go to college. He does a yard service. And I've watched over the last couple of years where 
he started with like, he had an old forerunner and his lawnmower was hanging out of the back of it. And then he worked, worked, worked now. And then he got a trailer and it was like, Oh, it's amazing. He's got a trailer, still an old lawnmower, but now he's got a weed whacker. And then like <laughs> six months later, like now he's got a riding lawnmower. Like he's deliberately building it over time. His goal might be, I want to have a $10 million lawn care service. I don't want to have a hundred people under me. But if you overfocus on that, it cripples the day-to-day it takes to actually reach the huge goal. Oh my gosh. I absolutely love this. I've been telling my students to dream really big, but to get there, take baby steps. And I feel like cutting these goals in half is kind of like that baby step concept. So I'm all for it. Okay. Then I'm on board with this for sure. I love secret number one. Talk to me about secret number two, choose what to bomb. Yeah. Again, counterintuitive. So we in our culture are taught you can do everything. You should do everything, especially like moms who have hustles. Like I love talking to them Mm -hmm. because like in the eighties, my mom, Libby Acuff, we lived in um, Ipswich, Massachusetts, couldn't compare her motherhood to a mom in Seattle, Washington, or a mom in San Diego, California, because she didn't have access to their lives. She could compare herself to the five other moms in our cul-de-sac. Now with social media, you can compare yourself in 30 seconds to other moms and feel like a complete loser. And like the other mom is always like holding hands with their husband, forming the shape of hearts and like hashtag blessed. And like <laughs> their meals are like, it's mac and cheese, but it's deconstructed with like a Gouda demi glaze. <laughs> and like, you're making that sad bowl of easy Mac for your kid. And you're like, I'm tired of stirring. And the kid's like, it's really powdery. And you're like, life is hard. And like, and you compare. And the reason I speak specifically to working moms is that working dads don't struggle with that. I've never had another dude come up to me and go, man, I'm just feeling low emotionally. Like I spent the day looking on Instagram and challenging my fatherhood and I just don't feel like I'm in a good place. Like fathers think they're amazing. Fathers, like the default is I'm awesome. Fathers are like, yeah, my kid got a misdemeanor. It's not a felony. And so I think it's vital that you look at your life and go during this season of hustle, I'm launching my own course or I'm writing a book, I'm running a business. These five things don't matter. It's not that they don't matter forever. They don't matter right now. Every time I talk to a retail company, I go, I beg them. I say, hey, 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 sit your team down in November and put five things you're not going to worry about until January because December is your Super Bowl. Don't act like December is the same as May. It's not. Admit it's different and choose to bomb these five things. The problem is we try to do it all and end up kind of messing everything up. And so like one of my favorite stories was the mom in the book that said, During a busy season, my kids know that clothes get clean, but not folded and put away. Like she has the laundry chair, which if we're all honest, we all have a laundry chair where it's like your third machine. It goes like washer, dryer, chair. And like, I love that her kids can look at their clothes and be like, oh, I'm wrinkled. Mom must be busy. So I think you have to be, and if there's things you can't do, like you can't ignore or suck at, delegate them, ask for help, simplify them. Figure them out for this season. So you you choose what you're not going to worry about. Oh, so good. I'll give you guys a quick example. We had this recently in my business where we rework some of our evergreen funnels. And we use this tool called Easy Webinar. And you can customize. You can make it look really good. And I'm into making my brand look good. So I, I like the aesthetics. And it's a lot of work to customize. So we we rebuilt these evergreen funnels because they were broken and they were losing, we were losing money on them. And I looked at them and I'm like, they're kind of ugly. They kind of look internet marketing ish. And I don't love that. 
but we did not have the bandwidth nor the time to make it look pretty. And so I said, we've just got to bomb that. We've got to let go of making it look great. It's not going to change everything. And if it does, we can come back to it when the time is right. But it was scary. I know this is just one example, but it was scary for me to walk away because it could have been A plus work if I had made it look good. Yeah. yeah when it's it wasn't. But without a doubt, without a doubt, totally still worked, which was the the icing on the cake. It didn't matter if we went that extra mile. Like it doesn't matter if the mom folds the dang clothes or not. They're going to get worn no matter what. So that was a big lesson for me. Well, and and part of it too, as you go, how many people have told us specifically the aesthetic was why they liked the thing? Like, do you have a, do you have a real, like the problem is emotions lie and and we'll say like, oh, everybody's going to notice how many people have said, hey, the reason I connected with this was because here's something that happened. I would argue like I have this whole theory about what sells a book like marketing wise. And I think that endorsements are amazing, but they don't change a no to a yes. They might change a maybe to a yes, mm-hmm. but not a no to a yes. I haven't had a single person go, I didn't want this book. It's not in my category. I don't have a felt need, but I saw so-and-so's name. So I bought it. I would much rather say there's other areas to focus on and don't get bent out of shape if the famous person will endorse it because it might be okay to have a B plus endorsement if you yes. have and, and like have an amazing cover, have an amazing title. There's different things you can do. Yeah. Focus on the stuff that really will make a huge difference. So I'm with you on that one. Okay. Secret number three, make it fun. I love this one. So tell my listeners more about it. Yeah. This one, I really wanted to personally do this one because- I think most people, if you say to them, name the five words you think of when you think of goal, they say hustle, willpower, grind, strain, persistence. Like they never say joy, laughter, engagement, fulfillment. We think a goal has to be difficult or miserable to count. Like the joke I always do, I always kind of tease adventure races, which I think are awesome. Like I, I, I love them. They're great. I have friends that do them. I run half marathons. Like that feels plenty. But during the tough mutter, one of the things that happens to you is you get electrocuted. What? Now, on a nor- yeah, this is true. On a normal day, somewhere in your brain is a thought like, I hope a live wire doesn't touch my skin. But like <laughs> on tough mutter day, you pay a person for that experience. This is after you've jumped into a dumpster full of ice water and swum under a wall. Now, the wall is there to make sure you're fully submerged because if you get cold enough, your brain synapses don't fire right and you lose control of your limbs and you flop on the ground. I am like, never doing this. This yeah, sounds 100%. torturous. Yeah. So then you get to crawl through a live wire field and they're not all live because where would the surprise be in that? And <laughs> and so my friend did that and I said, what was it like? And he was like, I almost made it through. And at the last second, I felt the wire graze between my shoulder blades and it felt like a giant with a hammer for a hand and punched me into the core of the earth. And I, I thought like the t-shirt you get better be amazing. Like, but that's what I swear to you. There's things people do in building a business and losing weight, whatever that they do because they think they're supposed to do. You might not be supposed to be running. Like that's okay. Like there's a million ways to, to get cardio. Like if you hate running, guess what? Don't run. Don't if you're do an adult. It. And so I wanted to test this fun matter because I thought it did. But I wanted to really be able to say, like, I want to be able to walk into a company because a lot of the companies I deal with are like, we're serious companies. We're not Google. We don't have like cotton candy and ponies. And I wanted to be able to say like, well, that's fine. But fun actually contributes to the bottom line. It's not just like fake fun on HR day where like you do a trust fall and you get like a squeeze doll of the brand's logo. Like that's not. (laughs) So we found if people make it fun, they are 31% more satisfied. Like the two metrics that leadership kind of hinges on 
or motivation is satisfaction and performance. Satisfaction, how did you feel? Performance, how did you do? Now, a good principle raises both. If I only raise your satisfaction, Amy, but not your performance, you're smiling all the way to last place. If I only raise your performance, but not your satisfaction, you're every rich, miserable person you've ever met. Like we've all met people who are really successful and hate their lives. It's because they overfocus on performance and they never thought about satisfaction. So we found people who are deliberate about fun are 31% more satisfied, but the crazy stat to me, they're 46% more successful. And mm, so it's big. really powerful. Now the distinction I need to make is that the slide I do after that is I'll say, but let's be honest, kale isn't fun. There's a lot of unfun things you're going to have to do. So it's not have fun, it's make it fun. And it's about being deliberate to make sure that the things that are inherently fun to you, you find joy. Like you give yourself a reward or you give yourself some form of motivation that helps you finish what the thing actually is. Like I, you know, down the road, I'd love to have a Porsche. I grew up as a little kid near a Porsche dealership and they weren't cars, they were like dragons to me. And so long term, like that'd be amazing. So I have, I bought like a beautiful like print of one and cut it up into 48 different pieces representing like the amount of money I wanted to make. And every time I hit a certain goal, I put up one of those pieces. Okay, and that's like, cool. Yeah. So it's a visual. So yeah. now I can go like, all right. And so that's one of those, like, I would say fun is weird and you have to be willing to be weird. One of my favorites, my friend's business coach said to him, and people have done this before, but he said, hey, I want three checks, three signed checks from you. And every time you don't hit your goal, I'm going to send the politician you hate some of your money. <laughs> and he was like, over my dead body. And so you have to, the powerful thing about this principle is you figure out for yourself and then you figure out for the people you work with. Like if you want to have a miserable experience as a leader, try to motivate somebody with the wrong form of motivation. Ooh. Every leader in the world has said to somebody that everybody loved and had a great personality, like, hey, there's these three things we need you to do, like, or we're going to have to let you go. And if they're not motivated by consequence, they don't even hear it. Like the day they're fired, they're walking out like pretty good day. And you're like, no, it wasn't like, <laughs> but you've tried to motivate them with the wrong thing. That's how I look at fun. Fun doesn't have to be this like fun doesn't mean goofy. It can mean whatever you want it to mean. I'm not saying be silly. I'm saying like be deliberate about how you add joy to what you do. Be deliberate. I like that. Definitely. So the last thing I'd say, like, and I pick on this, um, like smart goals, most popular form of goal setting over the last 50 years. And yeah. I'm fine with smart. Goals. Like, I think they're helpful. I think it's a great, it puts boundaries on your goal, make it specific, measurable, achievable, or attainable, realistic, and time bound. Love those words. Just tell me which one's remotely related to joy. Like uh, what? Time, time I can't bound? even. Time bound. Like how was vacation? It was amazing. I knew where it was going to end. It was time bound. Like <laughs> we don't look for that stuff. And so that's where that one for me was probably, I had a lot of joy exploring that idea. Yeah, that one's big for me in the sense that I don't go to fun right away. I'm all business and I, that's kind of embarrassing to say, but I really don't think about how to add fun to this. So I have someone on my team that does a really good job with that. And she's always reminding me like, how can we make this more fun, more enjoyable? So if it doesn't come natural to you, you get a little help, but I think it's really important. Oh yeah. I think there's people that it is more not, they're more naturally inclined. Yeah. But I think as an individual level, like I had a counselor tell me like, you need to ski more. You're a workaholic. And I was like, okay. So like I bought ski, I went to Austria this year. And Whoa. like skied, skied the Alps. It was amazing. I like, I'm planning another trip next year. And so, and like, because I can, like, that's, what's fun. You said like, it's all, all the hard work's worth it. Like there are a few things for me, my definition of fun as dope as being on a ski lift in the Alps on like a Wednesday. And people are like, 
how are you here? And you're like, well, I run my own business. And like somebody the other day was like, oh, you, you travel a bunch. And I was like, well, this year I've been gone 24 nights for work and 26 nights for vacation with my family. Like there name another job where you have 30 days off. Like, and it's only August. Right. Like, come on. Come on. It's too good. Too good. Okay. So remember guys, we're talking about these secrets of getting to the finish line, actually finishing what you start. And so we're moving into secret number four, which secret number four is actually two things that you say, John, are toxic to people's ability to finish. So I got to know what these two things are and well, first, more importantly, how to avoid them. Well, the, the first one is a noble obstacle. And I think about like a noble, here's a, here's an example that I use in the book of a noble obstacle. A noble obstacle is when my, my friend's wife says, Hey, we need to clean out the garage. Like it's crazy. It's out of control. And my friend, because he doesn't want to do it says, well, why don't I do a garage sale? And what's funny about a noble obstacle is it looks like it's helpful, but it's not. He's now thrown up 30 barriers between them and getting a clean garage. Like cleaning the garage could mean, you know what? We got to throw away a lot of stuff and that's fine. And then you do it. But like he's now thrown up all these things and he gets the benefit of looking like, ah, you know, like I'm trying to make money for the family. He's really just hiding. Or I, here's another example for anyone who wants to build a business. You and I both meet would-be entrepreneurs that go, I'd grow a business, but I don't want to ignore my family and like end up getting a divorce. And yes. you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's, it's not like there's two options, like <laughs> not follow your dream or like get a Coke addiction and get a divorce. Like those aren't the only two. There's a lot of room between those things, but they get to blame their kids for not chasing their passion and feel like I'm such a good dad by not doing this. And that's, that's what's called a noble obstacle. A hiding place is a place you go to instead of doing the work you know you're supposed to do. And that can take a million different forms. A hiding place could be like Netflix. It cracks me up. Netflix doesn't even make you press a, another button to play the next episode. Right? They go, hey, we're going to do a seven second countdown to sadness and then we'll go. And you go seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> you have no friends. And then it starts the other episode. And so, <laughs> but I mean, that's an obvious one. A less obvious one would be email. There's a lot of executives I work with who over manicure inboxes because it feels like work, but they're really just hiding from the tough meeting they have to do. Oh, 100%. Mine is kind of similar to the inbox. I'm really organized. And if you came into my office, you would be very impressed with my labels, my bins, and everything that keeps everything in order. But I'll spend a lot of time organizing that office and putting off what I should be working on. Oh, 100%. So for me, a big part of this I mean, part of finishing, part of building a business you care about is self-awareness and doing the work of that. And I'm not saying you have to go figure that overnight. I think one of the greatest hacks to self-awareness is relationship. I think if you asked a friend who loves you enough to tell you the truth, hey, like I keep leaving jobs the same way every time. What do you think's going on? I think they'll go, well, hey, here's this, here's this thing I see. Or, hey, I've got 10 ideas I want to do. I think they might go, well, actually, the one you talk about 90% of the time is this one. And so I think that that's part of what getting rid of your hiding places and your noble obstacles is an exercise in self-awareness. Ooh, that's a little challenge. If you guys can think of someone who you can ask honestly, like, what do you think of this? Or whatever the question might be where you're ready for some brutal feedback, I think that could completely clear out those hiding places right away. It's always yeah, scary I to ask someone though. I ask some girlfriends things like that and I'm like, almost want to have earmuffs. 
Yeah, I mean, I asked somebody, and it was me and my assistant on the phone with her, and I asked her for business feedback, and then, and this was about like two years ago, and she, like, we had a meeting a week later, and she was like, John, you are what I call accidentally successful, and I was like, oh, that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't sound like a compliment, and she was right, and she was just like, you don't have enough structure, you don't have, you know, like, and she was right, and so, yeah, you, and it was funny, once I was like, I started laughing, and my assistant started cackling, because she was like, finally, somebody said that to him. <laughs> So I think you have to respect their opinion. You can't ask the friend you don't care about for an opinion because you'll be like, they're dumb anyway. Yeah, Like, like yeah. it has to be somebody that, you know, and people aren't that mean. Like, and I, I think, you know, if you frame the question right. So I'm not saying it's easy. I just think it's really valuable. I do too. I actually really love that idea to go ask somebody you care about their opinion about. Okay. So moving on to secret number five, I really like this one. Get rid of your secret rules. Now, I know you said in your book that not working on this one will trip you five feet from the finish line every single time. So it's important that we tackle it now. Yeah, this one is tough. And again, it's, I like that in my job, I get to go talk to companies and talk to them on a human level, because this is a human issue. So probably one that your listeners struggle with, a secret rule is essentially something you believed a long time ago that isn't true and you still believe it. And it's shaping a lot of your life without you even knowing. So maybe it was in the eighth grade, a teacher told you, you're not a good public speaker. And even now as your company gives you chances to lead meetings and get, get some visibility, you go, oh, I'm not good at that. I don't do that. And it's because in eighth grade, you accepted that as a tattoo or somebody said, you're not creative. And you believed, okay, I'm not creative. But a big one that people struggle with is that success is bad, that success is negative, or it's harmful, or it's wrong. I had a buddy at dinner say, I can't believe that CEO makes $10 million. How do you think he sleeps at night? And I wanted to say probably in like Hungarian down sheets and like, (laughs) probably pretty well. But in his mind, if you say, what does that mean? Like, he would have to say, well, it means that 1 million is okay, but 2 million, that's, that's sinful, or that's too much. And you, again, you go like, who says according to what? So a lot of times, or a lot of leaders will have a secret rule of, now that I'm in leadership, I can't ask for help or say I was wrong or I don't know. Like I have to kind of, I can't, I lost access to those phrases. And so at the time they need people more than ever, as they lead, they get isolated. And like the thing, I think I said this in, um, in Do Over, this other book I wrote, like leaders who can't be questioned end up doing questionable things. So show me a church that fell, show me a business that fell, and I'll show you a leader who could only be told the things he or she wanted to hear. And so you've got to do the work of going, okay, it's really self-sabotage. Like we've all worked with people. And and the phrase we sometimes say, because self-sabotage seems too emotional, we'll say, it's like she can't get out of her own way. Yes. Like it's like she can't. And it's like, right as they bring the boat back to Harbor, they drill holes in it and sink it to the, to the bottom of the ocean. You go, why did you do that? Like, it was such a good opportunity. Like, why couldn't you accept that? Or what was wrong about that? And so I think it's really important that you deal with some of those things. Cause again, otherwise you'll get right to that. Like I'm, there's a woman in the book, she spent six years on her degree and then failed the last final on purpose. Cause she was afraid to finish. And oh. she was afraid of what she, she, and she didn't go back to school for 23 years. And I said, why'd you go back? She said, I had a heart attack and I realized life was short. I mean, there was another woman in there that she would shred every piece of artwork at the very end because oh. her secret rule was it has to be perfect. And a friend, she told a friend that one day, she probably, she shredded hundreds and the friend said, no more shredding. Like a friend's intervention doesn't have to be, you have coffee and cry and it's nine hours. Like 
just the friend saying, hey, no more shredding. She now sells them for hundreds of dollars. So I think we did the math. It was like she shredded 30 grand worth of work. Oh, come and so on. I swear to you, there are some listeners right now. And it's like the, the hair on the back of their neck is standing up. And they're like, stop saying these words. Like, <laughs> let me live with these cigarette rules. But I think it's really important for you to for you to kind of dig them up and deal with them. Uh, we all have secret rules. I'll share mine. Mine is really ingrained in my childhood. And I've talked about this on the show before, that in order to make good money, you've got to work yourself to the bone. Long hours, major hustle, work, 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 and then you can make a lot of money. And I know that's not true, but in the back of my mind, that secret rule likes to rear its ugly head. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that one's a common one. I think mine would be if you promote it all, you're too promotional. Like, Ooh, yeah. And I think, and I, it's funny, I can talk to other people about that. That's what's interesting about a secret rule. You can give other people advice. Oh, yeah. Like a good, a good hack is what would you tell someone else if they had the same question? And so like, I'd say, oh, you wrote a book, no one to promote it. The next time write a diary, because that like, keep that on your night shelf. But if you actually wrote a book and need to sell it, Here's what you do. Or even like, I'll tell people, if you're asking the question, I don't want to be too self-promotional, you're already in a good place. You know who never asks that? People who are too promotional. <laughs> yes. like, so I think that's one that I, from time to time, I would say we're, we're in the process of fix, hopefully addressing some of this with my platform. If you scroll through my Instagram, it's just my name, John Acuff. Good luck finding a picture of a book in the last 100 posts. Like if an alien came to the earth and was like, what does John do? It'd be very difficult because I'm like, no, funny joke. Here's a butterfly. Like, And I think that's valuable to my brand. Don't get me wrong. There's a point. But I think there's also a point to saying, hey, I wrote this book that I really believe in. I think it'll really help you. Like I have, I have a shelf. I'm looking at it right now in my office. There's probably 60 books that people have written because they read Finish. And I call it the Finish Hall of Fame. And uh. they go, hey. I was dealing with this forever. The book pushed me over the edge. Thank you. Or they'll send me weight loss stuff or like I built a business or like people will send me their invitations to their graduation ceremonies for master's programs. And they go, Hey, I was able to finish. I just want, I know you can't go, but I wanted you to know. How and cool so like, is that? so then for shame for me not being like, I should be shouting, like I should be like all over that. And so that's, I think we all have them. So I never want people to be like, man, he's dealt with this stuff. Like every time you do that, you deal with different stuff. I think Hemingway said it. He basically said, you're never not afraid because every time you conquer something, you try something bigger and there's new fear there. So like you're always kind of leveling up. And so like speaking to 10 people, I was nervous about that. But now like speaking to a thousand people or like I see, you know, speaking to 10,000 people or it's a hundred billion dollar company, like there's different challenges at each level. And so you're always kind of dealing with it. Always. My little hack for Every time I have this secret rule that comes up, I'm looking for evidence that it's not true. So when you said earlier, I might get my numbers wrong, but like you've traveled 24 days for business, but you've had 26 days of vacation since the beginning of the year. It's like, ding, ding, ding. There's another proof, Amy, that you don't have to work your life away to make good money. Oh, 100%. Like, you know, and I've had fun doing it. I I look at it and go, there's joy. There's so much. And my wife would say like, well, there's not going to be an enough, like you get to decide the enough and then you get to go, go do that and go relax in that. And yes. so I, I think that's, and I'm not naturally bent that way because I always tell people you'll become a workaholic at something you love, not something you hate. When you hate it, you want to do less of it. Yes. When you love it, like you can't believe 
that you can like when my kids graduate from high school, like Jenny and I are going to hit the road like crazy because I can do a plus one and I can say yes more and it's fun. And, but with the kids in the stage of life, I am, I'm going to say a bunch of no's because I don't want to miss it. Right. So I'm always looking for that evidence. I'm so glad you shared that. Okay. So we have reached the final secret to finishing what you start. And number six is all about data to track your progress. Now, data is not so sexy. So talk to me about like, what kind of data are we talking about? And is this labor intensive? It's the least sexy word. Like if I promise you, if I could have found a better word, I would have embraced, (laughs) I would have embraced that word in a second. So the big thing, the kind of way I like to think about it is data kills denial, which prevents disaster. And so a lot of times we live in denial of what's really working, what's really not working, what we should be focusing on, what we're not focusing on, and then we end up in disaster. And so an example of that, we, I remember the first time we went to a restaurant in New York that had the calories on it and everybody's order changed because they recognized like, oh, wait a second. So the burger that has the word loaded in it is not healthy. And like the calories were there regardless of whether we knew them. When we knew them, we got to make a different decision to go, okay, you know what? I am going to have something crazy because I worked out three times this week, or I, I get to make a good decision. There's this book called Black Box Thinking. And he says, a lot of us play golf at night. And I love that idea. And it's what he's saying is, if you practiced only at night, you'd never improve at golf, even if you played for 100 years, because the second it left, like the ball left, you wouldn't know, did it work? Was it helpful? Like, was it beneficial? And business, you should be addicted to data because data tells the truth. Emotions lie. Like there'll be times where you feel like giving up or you feel like expanding in an area just because it feels right. I think one of my favorite stories, this guy that manages doctors, brilliant neurosurgeons, he said, had a neurosurgeon come and say, we got to open up another clinic over in this other part of the state. You know, I'm getting people from there all the time. If we put our dedicated clinic there, we'll crush. He was like, all right, well, let me check the numbers. Like, let me check the data. And he found in the last year, only eight people had come from that area. The problem was three came in one week. And so he was like, we're blowing up. We're killing oh, that yeah. area. And so he didn't get to like, if he had made his decision based on the emotion of, I saw three people from that area, that doesn't tell the truth. I mean, we've all launched courses. Like the first day of launch is never as big as you think it's going to be. Like the last day, like is crazy. Like right. all these last second orders come in. If you don't have the data that says, Hey, 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 Sheila, it, it's okay. Like, remember last time we did a 2% conversion. This time we did a three that's improvement. You desire an 80%. Guess what? That's not what's going to happen. Remember the last day is the big day. If you don't know that information, you can't say what's true or not. Like it just, and so it it just makes you really, really smart. So we talked about 26 versus 24. I mentioned I'll make more this September than I did all of 2014. So I I looked at the numbers on that because I was curious. And so one, two, three, four, five, I'll do six gigs this September and make more than I made in 2014 doing 18 gigs. So it's not half the travel, it's 66% less travel. Now I get to, you know, me and the team get to celebrate that. Like we get to go like, that is trending in the right place. Like that is awesome. Like, you know, let me reward, like, that's a great thing. Or like, I love to say like, Hey, this year I'm doing a bonus for my agents. And I'm like, anyone who doubled what we did last year gets this monetary bonus. Like, that's awesome. Like, yes, but I don't get to reward people unless I know the data. And so I've just become, you know, it's, it'd be crazy. So I'm doing a, a half marathon in like two months. It would be insane if I didn't know how far I'd run during the race. 
Like if somebody's like, how much more do you have to go? And I was like, I don't know. I'm not a data person. I'm art. I'm just creative. I don't like numbers. I'd be like, you don't have a watch on? You haven't looked at the signs? Like I could be running the wrong direction because I'm like, ah, I don't want to be boxed in with maps, you know? So <laughs> I think your ability to track stuff, it just makes you smarter. It does. And you just, and you get better and better and better and better and you figure it out. And you find holes like in your funnel and you and you fix them and you change them and you see like people say all the time, what would you tell yourself 10 years ago about marketing? And I always say, I would overfocus on email and focus less on social media. And they go, What? Yeah. And I I feel like like I always tell people about email, email matters more in part because you you get a lot less every day. People don't change their email accounts. People change Twitter and social media all the time. Like changing email sucks. I still have people on my list that are rocking Hotmail. Why? Because <laughs> then you have to go, hey, everybody, I have a new email address. Please put it in. Nobody does that. Everyone's like, yeah, good for you. You're now dead to me. I'll never see you <laughs> right. again. And people take breaks from social media. People will tell me all the time, I just had to take a couple months off of Facebook. Like, it was too gross. I've never met somebody who's like, ah, I took six months off of email. No, you didn't. Like never. your life is over. So I would say a mistake of mine is getting over-focused on the sexiness of social media and ignoring the long-term, very boring, admittedly boring, power of email. Oh, you're speaking my language, brother. You're speaking my language. I totally agree with that. And on my team, we recently put something in place where I've got a team of six and everybody has key performance indicators. Back in my corporate days, I hated hearing about KPIs. Like I want to vomit. However, they are incredibly useful. And now at any given time, if I asked Angie on my team, are you doing a good job in your position? She looks at those key indicators and she knows if she's doing a good job because she knows what's expected of her. We're not guessing. And she's a community manager. So you, there could be some guessing in there. Oh no, we, we took it down into numbers. And I love that. It just makes everything a whole lot clearer. Well, it's a common language and yeah, it, it unites the team. So I'm again, and I'm not naturally this way. Me neither. Like, this is not, it's not where I lean. I've just, after years and years and years and years of going, it's kind of like if you traveled for 10 years and never did a loyalty program and somebody's like, oh my gosh, you must be like crazy on Delta. Like you must be like triple diamond. You're like, nah, I don't do data. Like I don't, I just, <laughs> I want none of this to count. And you're like, okay, then that's good. Yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah, Let me yeah. know how that goes. Your loss, your loss. Yeah. So I love that you bring up the data. Not so sexy, but incredibly important. And my listeners know we talk about data and the numbers a lot. You don't have to get crazy with them, but you need to know your numbers. So I'm really glad that you brought that one up. Okay. So before we wrap up, I want to recap of these six secrets. So secret number one, cut your goal in half. Secret number two, choose what to bomb. Secret number three, make it fun. Secret number four, leave your hiding places and ignore noble obstacles. Secret number five, get rid of your secret rules, those limiting beliefs. And secret number six, use data to celebrate your imperfect progress. Keep it simple here. You do not need to get elaborate. So John, this has been so fantastic. I love, this is what I love most about you. Your stories, your examples, you make everything more real and you bring it to light in that way. So it has been a delight to have you here. And first of all, thank you. And second of all, where can people learn more about you? Yeah, so I have a URL. It's acuff.me, A-C-U-F-F.me slash Amy. And I'll put a bunch of stuff on there. I, I'm going to put some speaking videos. And there's also the first chapter of the book. 
Because oh. a lot of times, you know, you want to you want to go like, all right, like it was interesting, but it was just a podcast. Like, should I buy the book? I'd love for you to read the first chapter. It's it's funny whenever somebody comes up to me and says, "Convince me I should buy your book." I always go, "Maybe you shouldn't." And they go, <laughs> "Wait, wait, wait, what?" And I go, I, "I don't know your situation. Like, here's the first chapter." And they they always end up going, "I'm buying this book." Like, so I love for people to kick the tires. So I'll do the first chapter, some fun videos about like how do you speak, what does that look like? Because my big argument is everyone's a public speaker. If you've ever had to negotiate a raise with a boss, you've given one of the most difficult speeches in the world. Yes. And so I love helping people get over that fear and have fun with it. So yeah, it's just acuff.me slash Amy. On Twitter, I'm John Acuff, J-O-N-A-C-U-F-F, Instagram, same. And so yeah, I'd love to connect with your listeners. And it's just been a blast. We've kind of missed each other narrowly with some of the relationships. I'm good yes. friends with Michael Hyatt and a bunch of folks that... I know you know and love. And, and so, yeah, come to, come to Nashville. Where are you guys located? We are in Carlsbad, California, but I'm coming to Nashville. I forget when this is going to air, so this might totally date me and that's okay. But we're coming in September to speak at Michael's event, Achieve. So oh, I'm yeah, really yeah. excited about that. That'll be fun. He does. I mean, you know, Michael, he doesn't do things that aren't awesome. No, um, it's going to be a great time. So yeah. And if you move from California to Tennessee, you will be a billionaire. Like, right? like you should just buy every house. Like <laughs> I guarantee like that's the right direction to move. You never want to move from Tennessee to California. Cause then it's like, back to my closet. Like, but if you move from Carlsbad here, oh my gosh, you guys will kill. That's what my husband Hobie says. He's like, get ready, baby. You're going to love this. So. Oh yeah. yeah. It'll be great. Yeah. Well, well, I can't wait to see you soon, neighbor. I'm coming your way. <laughs> awesome. Have a great time at the conference. Thank you so much, John. And I really appreciate your time. Can't wait to have you back. Have a wonderful day. Me too. So there you have it. I hope you loved this conversation with John. I know I definitely have some things I want to work on and really focus on to make sure that I get to the finish line in all that I do. That's a very big, important aspect of who I am. It's part of my identity. I tell myself I finish things. And I think that helps me get to the finish line each time I start something, but I definitely have my struggles along the way. And so I'm going to apply these strategies. In fact, I already have. Remember, I've listened to the audiobook. I think it's hilarious. I mean, I was laughing throughout this whole episode with John. He's a funny guy. We all know that. And so you're going to get a lot of that in the audiobook. So I highly encourage you to get that on Audible. I am a huge fan of Audible. So if you go to amyporterfield.com forward slash Audible, you can actually get a free book when you sign up. So if you want to take advantage of that, this would be a great book to check out. Also, one more thing before we wrap up. Have you subscribed to this podcast yet? When you subscribe, you get notified when I have a new episode going live. I've been doing some bonus episodes that I don't talk about a lot on social or an email. So I want you to get notified every time we have something new. So if you go to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast, please do hit the subscribe button and it allows me to get pushed out to more people to find me and listen to all these marketing strategies that I put in the podcast. And and as an entrepreneur, you know how hard you work on your content, right? And we've got to make sure that we get that message out there so other people can find us. And by you hitting subscribe, I feel like it's good karma because you're going to help me get in front of more people. And then hopefully that will come back to you tenfold. 
(laughs) Okay. Some of you are like, Amy, you're pushing it a little bit, but I really believe it. All right, guys. Thanks so much for being here. I cannot wait to see you here. Same time, same place next week. Next week, I'm talking about the PS strategy. You know, those PSs. How do I say that? You know, the PSs that you put in your emails to your community. Well, there's a very specific strategy to follow with those PSs. And I want to talk to you about that and give you some tips and tricks to make them even more powerful. It's a fun episode. I'll give you lots of examples from my own business. I'll see you here next week so we can dive into it. Have a wonderful week. Talk to you soon. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Online Marketing Made Easy podcast at www.amyporterfield.com. 